Well, this morning in our Bible study hour, we ran across Samuel, who was called by God, and he was a young boy, and he was laying down in his bed, and three times he heard a voice call him Samuel, Samuel, and he didn't know what to say, and finally his mentor, priest Eli, said, when you hear the voice, say this, speak, O Lord, your servant listens, and I think that's a great prayer for us as we listen to scripture read to us and God's word expounded in a sermon. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But before we get into God's word, I just gotta, somebody told me this was the last daylight saving time in Michigan. And then somebody else told me, nope, it didn't pass. Does anybody know the right answer to that? We still gotta wait? So it's still, so I want you to all write your congressman, no. (laughs) We don't do that very much, but this one I would say, yeah, I'm done with daylight savings time. I don't know if you're with me on that one or not, but uh, welcome to daylight saving time. And if somebody comes up by in about 45 minutes, let's glare at them and just make sure they know that they're not paying attention to what's going on. Well, Pastor Starner read from John chapter four, and Jesus never did get his drink, did he? We end the story where he asks this woman, Ms. Samaritan, hey, how about a drink of water at a well? But he never got it. But that is very okay because Jesus is much more into giving rather than receiving. And that's exactly what this whole encounter is all about. He's telling us we should be asking for what God wants to give to us. That's what we want to learn. That's what we want to hear. He says, give me a drink. It's a not so subtle way of reminding us that we don't know what we need until he tells us what we need. Just as the children of Israel, there was that little water thing going on, but they were really wondering, is God with us or not? That was the question. It wasn't about thirst, really. Is God with us or not? And for you and me and for this woman at Samaria, Samaria, Yeah, God is with you. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he'd be giving you living water. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew that, if you knew that God loves you, if you knew that you have everything you need to take care of you, if you knew that God gave you every ability to make life okay. Would you be thirsting with anxiety? Would you be thirsting with worry? Would you be filled with doubt and fear? And Jesus reminds her and he reminds you and me, this gift God gives. Martin Luther might have said it this way, and take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, let these all be gone, they yet have nothing won, the living water yet ours remaineth, right? Yeah, God gives us that gift. If, if, uh, if, if we knew the gift of God, we would maybe let go of what we strive for with our successes. If we knew the gift of God, we wouldn't be condemned by our sins. For this woman, her past five husbands, and the one she has now. They'd be all, or all the other things, the 500 sins that we cram in our closets trying to hide. They're all incinerated by the burning love of a savior God who joins himself to you and me. 
and gives us freedom and gives us life. And, we're, and, and we find it, this living water, from the temple of Jesus Christ himself, who would on the third day rise and who would be the river of life from which all grace flows. That's today's idea. And this kind of amazing dialogue, totally different than what we read last week in John 3. This is kind of the contrasting side. This is the flip side. This dialogue with an unnamed woman and Jesus identifies himself as the greatest need filler that all of us need have. He's our king. He is your king who truly loves you. And he rules you with love, not by force, not by compulsion. And we're purple clothing people because as we heard from the last line of our epistle reading, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't somehow achieve some status, some worthiness, some qualification that the God said, oh, now you're ready. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. She's the epitome of all of that. And that's why we want to take a look at John chapter 4. She's a Samaritan. She's one of those people, right? And if you look at that in the, uh, in the, uh, in the Bible or even there, we see this real contrast between her and Nicodemus, as I mentioned just a moment ago. One comes to him at night. She, in the middle of the day at noon which some people are saying that should trigger something what's going on, but it doesn't really tell us why. She has a dialogue with Jesus. There's a real give and take thing going back and forth. Nicodemus gets almost a sermon from Jesus, right? Nicodemus is the ultimate uh, Jew. He's a Pharisee. He's a leader. He's the one that everybody would say, that's a dude around here. She's basically nothing. She's a forgotten. She's an overlooked person. And yet to both of them, Jesus brings the same message. There's sin that needs to be dealt with and is paid for in Christ, but also forgiveness that's granted in Jesus Christ. And you might be familiar with another good Samaritan. We have that story in Luke of uh, the guy who helps and saves a guy who gets robbed. But this is another Samaritan. And uh, this Samaritan, culturally speaking, Jews and Samaritans, they just hated each other. They didn't like each other. They were from the same uh, stock. And you can see this as the woman talks to Jesus as they meet. She says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? All three big strikes. A Samaritan shouldn't be talking, shouldn't even be seen with her. A woman, it wasn't culturally appropriate for a man to talk to a woman who was not his wife. And uh, in the middle of the day, a Jew and Gentile and a woman asking for help from her. And Jesus, John provides a little helpful footnote that says Jews don't share things in common with Samaritans. They wouldn't drink from the same cup. No way. To, to share that, that would be saying we're equal, and we're certainly not. Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other, and they were nations that worshiped the same God, but they had drifted apart, so they were kind of like the cousins and the family you don't like, right? Kind of hate, kind of like Uncle Eddie and Christmas Vacation, right? 
only amp that up a lot more. And so Jesus talks to her and Jesus helps her. And she says the big difference. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And she's emphasizing the differences between the two. But I want you to see Jesus isn't interested in the walls that people put up. He's not interested in staying with the taboos that our culture sets in our place. Because he's interested in finding lost sheep. He's interested in finding lost souls. And so he'll talk to a woman. He'll talk to a Samaritan. He'll drink from her cup. Because he wants her to know he sees her. And while other people overlook her and other people forget about her and other people have no regard for her and other people could care less about her, Jesus is just the counter opposite. And it's a word for you and me today too that Jesus is with you and he does see you. And it helps us to understand how to ask us to how do we look at other people? We're really quick to judge, aren't we? We're really noticing the distinctions and kind of evaluating this this one's better than this. And while there are distinctiveness and there are things that distinguish all of us, Paul would write later on in the history of the gospel after Jesus' resurrection in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, we're not gonna just look at people from the outside. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's how I know you want to be looked at. You want to be seen for who you are and what you need. And God asks you to see that in other people. This woman, yeah, she's got a lot of skeletons in her closets. She's no different than you. She just knew about them. You're probably good at hiding them. And Jesus says she is a sinner who needs God's forgiveness and she will get that in Jesus Christ. And he asks her to get real about her life. And he uses this idea of being thirsty and, and having uh, living water. And while we're left to uh, uh, speculate on the backstory of why she has five husbands and why she's living with some guy that's not she's not married to now, we don't know why. We don't know if they died. We don't know if they left her. We don't know if she left them. We don't know anything about it. Just that obviously she needed somebody and she was a codependent type of a person that needed to have somebody in her life to count her life as full and whole. And Jesus reminded her, no other person can fill that. What you're searching for is God. What you need is your creator and your redeemer and the lover of your soul who will never leave you, who will never abandon you. And she said, boy, that water sounds really good. Give me some of that. And he asked you and me, 
What brings you your thought of wholeness? What brings you to that point where you think, now I, I got it? And he pokes a hole in the balloon of all these things that, of things that we think are the things that whole, have us whole. And so we think about ourselves. We say, I got a career to plan for, and I got to give myself to that. And that supersedes everything else. Nothing is more important than that, is there? And Jesus would say to you, think again. Think about that again. I've got college and car payments to pay for. I gotta keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths and the, and the Johnsons and everybody else. I gotta keep up, don't I? And Jesus says, ah, that's okay. But really? Is that your life? Is that what you want? Living around in that, em- in that hamster wheel of just running around? In my heart, I feel bored. Give me some excitement that I can find a thrill or something that will at least dull the pain of my existence and my inner anxiety because I'm addicted to the rush. And Jesus invites you to the love of God in Jesus Christ. That supersedes that. You see, Jesus puts his finger on her sin and he puts his finger on our sin, not to embarrass us, not to harm us, not to make us feel guilty, but to free us. He kills in order to bring to life. He condemns in order to save. He preaches the law in order to bring the gospel. And that's what Jesus is doing with this woman. We can't hide, we can't equivocate. What's wrong with life must be made right and it needs satisfaction. And that's what Jesus comes to give. And he condemns in order to bring to life. And Jesus asks us again in Matthew 16, what good is it? For someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul, or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? And the obvious point is nothing. There's, some, there's more. There's the love of God. There's the action of God in our heart and our life. And he uses that idea of drinking, drawing water from the well of salvation for you and for me. And as I looked on this, and I've certainly seen this story many times uh, from, from a pastor's point of view, but one thing that I never had really thought of is all the things in the Old Testament that happen at a well. And this woman would know that. She, she, as a Samaritan, she'd be familiar with the Old Testament stories. And Jesus was certainly a well of them. By the way, if you want an interesting little fact, the Hebrew word for well is spelled B-E-E-R. That's a real watering hole, isn't it? <laughs> so if you hear beer, Shiva, that's the well at Shiva, or that means seven. But uh, anyhow, that, that has nothing to do with this, except it's a fun fact. <laughs> but what happened at a well was very interesting in light of the conversation that Jesus had. Because if you remember the Old Testament, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, they all found their brides at the well. And when Jesus brings up this marriage, being married five times and being married to the guy now, he's hearkening her back and tapping her on the shoulder to say, remember what God does? Remember how God brought fulfillment? And there is one greater than Jacob here. And they're sitting at the well that Jacob dug 100 feet deep 
a very deep well. And they were near this plot of land that Jacob bought and he buried his son Joseph right in that land. And he says, there's somebody better, greater than Jacob here. There's somebody greater than our forefather. Jacob who worked seven, yeah, 14 years to gain his beloved bride, who, who took his, his wife Leah and she became beautiful, who was described as homely. She became beautiful in his eyes as his wife. And God is reminding you and me, Jesus has a bride. It's his church. It's his people. That's what the church is. People who believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, you have a lasting covenantal love of a true husband for you and for me. And he fulfills every one of your needs and he gives you the Holy Spirit. In fact, he is the living water which that Holy Spirit gives. In John 7, he'd talk again about this water idea and he stood up, you can read it in John 7 verse 37. He stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow waters of living water. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. That living water is the moving water, this moving stream that doesn't require us to keep drawing it up, to keep struggling to bring up a bucket full of water from 100 feet below ground. You know how heavy water is? One pint weighs one pound. Five gallons weighs 40 pounds. This woman would be struggling. And Jesus says, there's a gift of water for you. It's the grace of God. It's what God will do for you in Jesus Christ. The Christ who paid for the sins of the world. And yeah, God is the source of that. Yahweh is the source of that. And she thinks that's really good. I'd like that. But she's still not quite getting it. Just as Nicodemus didn't understand the new birth. And Jesus finally says to her, I know that she says in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. He's the one who comes. He's the one who gives. And he's the one who provides abundant life. Sometimes I like to look back at what other people have thought about Jesus and his word. And they're called church fathers. This ancient history. Uh, there's one guy named Augustine. Maybe you've heard of him. Augustine or Augustine. I don't know what the exact way to pronounce his name is. He's got a selfie of him up on the screen right now. But he lived a very wild life. I mean, to the nth. He saw life to its fullness in all the wrong ways. But he had a mom who prayed for him. She prayed. And she prayed. And she prayed. And she prayed. And then she prayed some more. If you got a mom like that, you don't have a chance. But one day he had his water at the well experience with Jesus. And he became this uh, thoughtful church leader and Christian thinker. And he wrote this book called The Confessions. One of those books you're supposed to read, but nobody ever does. But this, line, this, this has a great line for us. Right at the very end, it says, You arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and draw us to yourself and our heart is unquiet until it rests in you. 
Our heart's restless until it rests in you. My prayer is that you have the rest of Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy for you. And that you have drink well, drink deeply from that well of salvation. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes human understanding, keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.